Our scripture reading this morning is from the book of Exodus, chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. This is found on page 46 in the Pew Bible. And if you don't have a Bible, we say this every week and we mean it every week, uh, please take one home as a gift from us. We want everyone to have a copy of God's word. The reading of the word of the Lord. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Then God said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Good morning, y'all. I never quite know how to do that exchange. Like, are you going down that side? <laughs> uh, well, I tell you what, it is, it is wonderful to be back with you this Sunday. I was here last week. And um, let me add to Nate's welcome and to Paul's welcome, my welcome. As, as Paul said that, I kind of had this sketch going on in my mind, this kind of SNL thing in which everyone that came to the stage would add their welcome. to. <laughs> so hopefully somebody, okay, I'm not a writer for SNL. Don't worry. I don't have to be funny. I don't have to be funny. Um, but I, I was reflecting as, um, as we were welcoming Anthony and his wife, Melissa, um, what a privilege it has been to be with you all for uh, the last decade. Oh, man, I feel old just even saying that. Um, but it's really delightful. And um, I, what's true is that I don't know all of you here today because um, my work over the years has shifted a little bit and my leadership has broadened. And so now um, I work with all of the campuses, all five of our campuses, um, coordinating the ministry partnership work that we do both locally and and abroad, and, um, and, but what's true is I live in the Brookside neighborhood, friends, so this is home for me, and it's always great to be here, and I especially enjoyed our time last Sunday. Wasn't it good? Kenny was here, and we, we turned our attention to Exodus, the story of Moses, uh, God's deliverer, and I don't know about you, but I so enjoyed the retelling of that story, um, this little story time with Uncle Kenny, And it left me hungry for more, actually. Um, As he was talking us through chapters 1 and 2, he introduced us to several key names. You know, we'd we'd known the name of Moses probably before we walked in here, thanks to Charlton Heston and and Prince of Egypt. (laughs) We probably knew the name of God's people, Israel. But he introduced us to some new names. We, We learned about these heroic Hebrew midwives, Pua and Sifra, Shifra. Actually, I think I said that wrong the first time. Pua and Shifra. And we learned about the name of Moses' first son, Gershom, who he named after that lesson that God taught him. 
And we're going to continue to learn more and more names. It's not surprising, actually, that so many, so many names have surfaced already in this book. Actually, the original title of this book of the Bible was not Exodus, but Shemot, which is this Hebrew word that means names. It was only later with the Greek translation that, that Exodus um, was called as we call it today. But of all the names that we will come to over the next weeks, it's the name that we're going to come to today the revealed name of God that rings out above all the others. The Torah, beginning with Genesis, now we're heading into Exodus, the Torah has been building to this moment, and every detail we read today in Exodus 3, it's like a neon sign, like an arrow pointing to this name, the revealed name of God. It's the centerpiece of Exodus 3. And this name, this Yahweh God, is not just a central literary theme, The claim of our passage today is that it's the most important name in all of human history. Just think about that for a minute. Think about all the names you know. The beloved names of your family and friends. The names of your heroes. The names of the famous people, the musicians and the athletes. The names of these noble humanitarians. This name... This revealed name of God is more important. It's supreme. That's the claim of Exodus 3, that Yahweh God trumps them all. Maybe a small pun intended there. Do you get it? Come on, come on. That's where Exodus takes us today, to this God who's introducing himself, to a God who's making himself known. And what's amazing, I'm going to pull this out, what's amazing, you guys, is that it's written down here in these words right here in this Bible or in your pew Bible or in the Bible that you own. That's the revelation of God, that he's condescending to come reveal himself to Moses, to make himself known to us, and to change our lives because of it. That's, that's the claim of Exodus this morning. And as we enter into this text, I just want to invite you um, to join me in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. And we come as people who often project onto you an image of a God we would want. We often make you into our own image. A God who's like a genie in a bottle. (laughs) like a Santa Claus, or maybe we think of you as kind of this killjoy cop, or maybe just kind of an irrelevant old man. But today in Exodus 3, we come to this real true revelation of God, this holy, present, and powerful God. And I think of the words that Calvin wrote in his Institutes that it's only when a man clearly looks at God and then back to himself that he begins to really have a knowledge of who he is. I'm just aware today of how desperately we need to have the name of God revealed to us. And, And we come together just asking that you would do that for us, that you would reveal the name of God for each one of us, um, that we would encounter you exactly the way we need to today. And that we would have the grace to do that on your terms um, in the way that you would want to come and reveal yourself. So we open ourselves up to that, and we ask for your help as we continue on in this message this morning. Amen. 
As we continue to dig into Exodus 3, let me just say a word about the message that, that you're going to hear, this sermon today. I'm, I'm following in the genre of storyteller sermon, okay? So Kenny kind of started us out. So I just want to give a heads up. If you're a note taker this morning, you're kind of looking for the three points in the poem, um, you might find them, but it will be because you wrote them down. It's not because they're in this message. So I, I, my hope is that as we, as we enter into this biblical story that we can soak in some of the details and that we can just really begin to uh, walk alongside of Moses, enter into the story of God's people, and, and come to know God in the ways that he revealed, even in those earliest days. Do you remember where we left off last week? The groanings of the people of Israel had come up before God. And do you remember that final hopeful word from Exodus 2.24? We read that God heard, God remembered, God saw, and God knew. I don't know about you, but I've been so eager to get back here today, you know, to keep this story going on. It was kind of a cliffhanger ending for me last week. You know, this entire nation was suffering under the evil regime, and now Moses, this leader, has learned some lessons, and, you know, there's this God who's seen, he's heard, he's, he's ready. It seems like he's pretty much poised to smite the evil ones. Stuff's about to get real, Right? It's this thing that we expect as we open our Bibles to Exodus 3. And I think it was that expectation that brought me some whiplash this, this last week as I began to study and prep for this message. Because I came upon the words of Stephen in Acts 7. Stephen, this martyr of the New Testament, who takes a little time before he dies to describe this, this early part of the Moses story. And I read these exact words from Acts 7, beginning in verse 29. Now Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. Now when 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness, in a flame of fire in a bush. Now when 40 years had passed... Midi, or excuse me, Moses in a Midian desert for 40 silent years. Am I missing something here? I mean, didn't we just leave off with this God in chapter 2 who heard and remembered and saw and knew? And now here, Stephen tells us of a God who pretty much disappears for four decades. Add to the list the God who hides. The irony here is really rich. As we find Moses in Exodus 3, the text makes it clear that he's not looking for God. This is an 80-year-old man who spent four decades in a hot desert doing hard labor. Nobody's holding their breath for God to show up. And yet, here we are. Here we are, just about to have this incredible encounter with Yahweh God. It's not just incredible because of all the bells and the whistles, you know, the burning bush in the corner. It's incredible because this will be the first time that God will reveal himself in this new way. The very first time ever. First time that God will come and say, I'm not just a God of a certain person, of Abraham or Isaac. I'm a God for a people. It's the first time ever that the name of Yahweh will be revealed this name so holy that God's people refuse to pronounce it. It's the name of God. It's in all caps in your Bible, the Lord. 
Here we are on the cusp of this encounter, the deepest revelation of God we've ever known, and the backdrop is a desert. After 40 silent years, what's going on? At number 40 is a biblical unit that marks completion. What do we make of this? Well, our text today is scarce on details. We know the physical landscape. It's dry. It's mountainous. The shepherds and flocks are on the move in search of water. What do you think is happening on the inside of this story? What about those Israelites? Now a generation of moms and dads, sisters who still mourn the loss of that firstborn son. What about Moses? A stranger in a new land on the backside of failure. Surely this wasn't the script Moses had in mind. 40 years in Midian. You know, maybe a couple years, maybe, maybe a few years to regroup, right? Yeah, I'm a newbie learning some tough lessons. Maybe some time for those threats on his life to cool. Time to process and pray, to strategize, to build a new team. But in a few years down the line, we try this again, right? I mean, Moses is now more mature. He's seasoned in leadership. He's in the prime of his life. But those few years came and went. And like some bad dream that just keeps replaying the chase scene. It's like Moses could never escape. As we meet Moses today in Exodus 3, who can guess the interior, the terrain of his heart? His calling snuffed out. His dreams dead in the desert heat. What do you think Moses meant for Midian? What was this landscape? How many times in those early years do you think Moses thought back to his home life in Egypt, just dreamt of his favorite foods, heard the laughter of his family and his friends? I bet he might have been ambushed a time or two by grief as he sat by the campfire alone at night. Do you think Moses ever returned to that calling deep inside, that passion that had made his heart beat a little bit faster, that groaning, how long, oh Lord, how long? Did he ever come back to that whisper of hope? Surely God spared me for some purpose. In exile from his own people, from his own dreams, from his God, What did the desert make of Moses? How did it press him into fears, into others' expectations, maybe compromising principles or playing it safe? Moses was now a shepherd, a a profession that no self-respecting Egyptian would have imagined. Could he ever tell his family? Would he ever see them again? How often do you think Moses relived that one moment that rash moment of anger when he made the fatal choice. I think Beekner captures the desperation of this place so well. He's writing about a, different, about a different context. But in his novel, Son of Laughter, he writes these words. Somewhere off in the dark hills, I could hear a shepherd calling. It is the loneliest of all lonely sounds. You call, though there is no one to answer you, and because you are lonely. The dark is only the dark until you call into it. And then your call makes the dark the answer to your call. And then you are lonelier still. 
I wonder today if any of you have ever been to Midian. If you've made a bad choice or if circumstances have brought some detour. If you woke up one morning into a world or into a life that just didn't seem to fit, didn't feel at home, you didn't know who to be or how to be, what you were aiming for. Maybe it wasn't that pronounced. Maybe instead there's just been a growing, subtle awareness that life isn't what you thought. (laughs) It's not what you hoped it would be. You got off track or the track that you're on doesn't feel like you thought it should feel. Maybe you're just starting not to care anymore. Or maybe it's the opposite of that. Maybe you care too much. You look at these precious children in your life and you almost can't breathe for fear of their well-being or the grief over someone you've lost. And you wonder in those quiet moments, where's God? I wonder when darkness settles in, have you ever called out to a God who didn't answer? Has darkness ever been the answer to your call? About nine or ten years ago, I was remembering where I lived at the time, um, I had a season like this. It was just a dark place. And I remember, I remember crying out to God. I was going through some really difficult places in, in tender spots, you know, close relationships. And, um, and part of it is that God wouldn't give me what I wanted, frankly. Isn't that, in the darkness, sometimes just that God's just not doing what I wish. <laughs> and uh, I... I started, because of that, I started changing my prayer. And I remember I just would pray to God, what do you want from me? I would just say that sometimes. It was like a repetitive thing. I mean, (laughs) I I probably was a little bit like a crazy woman. But I actually have, have memories of getting in the elevator at my loft department downtown and pushing the button to go up and saying out loud, what do you want from me? And, uh, in my car, and, and it would repeat. I, I would do this, and I was kind of had a light at the end of the tunnel. There was a women's retreat that I was um, that I knew we were hosting, and I had known the speaker and thought, "Wow, that could just be a really good time of renewal for me." And so I, you know, we made our way to this women's retreat, and we get to this retreat, and we have the opening session, the keynote plenary session, and I kid you not. The text for that session was out of Mark 10, and it's about Jesus' encounter with the blind man Bartimaeus, the blind beggar. And the climax of this talk was Jesus' question to the man. When Jesus looks at Bartimaeus and he says, what do you want from me? (laughs) And it was this moment where the darkness just echoed for me. What happens when that dark answers back? Here in Exodus 3, we, we meet up with a man who knows those places. He understands the disorientation of darkness, hardship, gripping anxiety. This is a man who's walked in those spaces. This is a desert where he lives. An interesting It's where Yahweh reveals his name, the holy, present, powerful name of God. Let's begin reading in chapter 3 with verse 1. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, 
the priests of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. And God said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you're standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Well, before this text introduces us to that name Yahweh, we're first introduced to a few characteristics of Yahweh. And these characteristics bring about some tension, especially when sinful man comes into the picture. But we continue to see these traits dancing around in this multidimensional God, this God who's holy, this God who's present, this God who's powerful. The minute God has the attention of Moses, who's turned aside for this bush, God starts, he starts with his personal presence. Moses, Moses. Do you see this? He speaks directly to Moses. He calls him by name, and he does it twice. That twofold repetition may have caused Moses to have a little catch in his chest, because the repetition of a name was a term for endearment. It's a way that you'd speak to someone that you love. And from here... God introduces himself to Moses using a name that, Mo- that Moses would have been familiar with. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When God says this to Moses, it's not just an introduction. It's an invitation back into the family. There's something powerful about a God who has the authority to do this, to reinstate Moses. Remember, Moses has been in exile, his sin of murder, separating him from the very people who God's just named here. But God speaks tenderly to Moses. Moses, I'm here as the God of your father, of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. But then after this this showing of personal presence and this power right alongside of it, We see also that this God is a terrifying presence, this this being who Moses can't look on directly. Do you see the very first thing that God said to Moses? Very first thing he says, do not come near. Take off your sandals, for the place you're standing is holy ground. From the start, we're starting to see this multifaceted God, this holy other, this pervasive presence, this powerful authority We continue in verse 7. Then the Lord said, I've surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. What's striking about those verses Beside all, besides all of the ites people? Anybody see this? God has returned again to those verbs. I have seen. I have heard. 
I have known. And this time God adds a new one, making it explicit what we already see. I have come down. I'm no longer distant. I'm no longer removed. I'm on the scene. I'm God with you. And then beginning in verse 10, God lays out the plan. Moses, come. I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, but I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I've sent you. That when you've brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. God lays out an amazing plan here. And the response of Moses is, is not very surprising. We hear in Moses and his words, we hear a man who spent 40 years in a desert learning everything he's not. God, why would you choose me? I don't bring anything to the table. I have nothing to contribute. I'm not your guy. I can't do this. To which God says, exactly. <laughs> Look at the ending in verse 12. But I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I've sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you'll serve God on this mountain. It's as if God is saying to him, I'm the one. Trust me. And not only that, Moses, I'm bringing this thing full circle. This Midian desert, this place where you thought your dreams went to die, I'm making it a place of life, a place of fulfillment. I'm a redeemer who has plans to make the place of your desert a sign of my redemption. And not just for your good, but for the glory of my name, for the joy of my people, we're coming back here to worship on this mountain. It's amazing. Moses receives a little more healing each time this new disclosure comes from God, this revelation of the name of God. And now Moses speaks a second time and asks God to tell him who he is. And this question from Moses, it's not about a name or a title, you know, who should I say is calling? <laughs> no, this question Moses asks, it's, it's a fundamental question of trust. God, who are you? Can you be trusted? Are you able to do this thing you say you will? So God responds to Moses in verse 14. God says to Moses, I am who I am. And he says, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. And God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. And with this, God reveals himself as the Yahweh. I am who I am. And this text is so rich. We could spend weeks studying these few verses. I mean, volumes have been written about the name of God. So much is getting said here. But for the sake of time, let me focus on just two, what I think are just two of the most important observations. First off is that God reveals himself here with a verb. Yahweh, I am. From the fundamental verb of being, to be. This is God's starting point. It's a proclamation. Moses, I am the most important reality you can know. I'm not derivative 
I'm not made from something else. I am creator and sustainer. I am beginning and end. I am the first and the last. Nothing else is a benchmark or a reference point for me. I'm ultimate. That's this meaning of Yahweh, the great I am. But this Yahweh, this, this verb, he's not just coming again in this abstract theoretical revelation, some, you know, distant Zen I am dimension. <laughs> no, he's, he's saying that he's going to set in motion activities and plans that will change the course of human history. We can't, we can't miss this. God didn't just real, reveal himself in the abstract. He revealed himself as Yahweh, this ultimate reality who's doing something. Yahweh who has come down, who is sending Moses, who's promising to deliver his people. And the implications of the second point are actually hard to wrap our minds around. Yahweh God saying to Moses and Israel, I am, and this is how you'll know. I'm coming to free you from sin and evil and to bring you into the fullness of my presence. The revelation of God doesn't remain theoretical. When God reveals himself, he shows up and it changes things. Stuff happens. And in this earliest manifestation of God, we see the paradigm that's set. This first peak of the way history is going to continue to unfold. This holy, present, powerful God who will continue to make himself known. Intervening in time and space to bring about his deliverance. To one day bring about the ultimate deliverer, Jesus. Years later, after another very dark season, actually 400 years of silence, this verb form would take on bodily form. To live among us the life we could not live to die for us the death we deserved in order that we might know him fully and be fully known. The great I am would suffer in our place and cry out in the darkness once and for all so that never again would our desert cries go unanswered. These are the very, or let me say it this way, in those spaces of darkness, there are very few things in this world that matter. There are very few things that matter when you're in a place of this kind of darkness. Whether it be the trap of your own sin, this person you wish you weren't, or the reality of this broken world. But the presence of this holy and powerful God, the revelation of his name, changes everything. As we transition and close our time this morning with some communion I think it's appropriate for us to take a little time to reflect on this God. And I want to close us in a time of some guided prayer. And then we'll build into communion as we spend some time praying. Because of that, I've asked if Scott would come and just lead us um, in some, just have some piano playing. Because I think sometimes even that music, even subconsciously, can just kind of help us focus in a little bit. And, um, and like I said, we're going to lead into communion. So let me just share a few logistics about communion so that we can kind of focus in as I begin the prayer time. Uh, first off, we're mindful as we approach the Lord's table that it's only the blood of Jesus that covers us and makes a way for a relationship with this God who, who has revealed himself. 
And as we come to the table, we welcome everyone who's placed faith in Jesus to participate. So open communion. You don't have to be a member of our church. If you're here with us today and you're not a follower of Jesus, you haven't met this one true God, first let me just say I'm so glad you're with us. And I know it can be hard to sit through things that are a little bit different. Um, Let me release you from participating in the Lord's Supper. And I hope that for you this space will be a really good opportunity just to think a little bit more about Um, what we've talked about today, and maybe even speaking to God yourself in prayer. Um, For those participating in communion, we have four stations for that. We have two up front and two in back. There's this one back here on my right uh, to the back is gluten-free. So if you need that, feel free to to do it. And when we come, we'll gather in groups of four or five people to take the bread, and then after everyone's served, we'll dip it in the wine, and then we'll all partake together. But first, like I said, I'd like to just close us with a little time Um, guided prayer. You know, we know because scripture tells us throughout that this God who revealed himself to Moses desires to reveal himself to every one of us. He wants everybody here to have this kind of encounter with Moses. And I just want to begin in this prayer time by, by inviting you to ask yourself about that first encounter you ever had with God. When was the time you first really met God. Maybe today you have a prayer of thanksgiving as you reflect on that time. Or maybe you're here today and instead you're thinking you've never known that time. Maybe you're here today in a desert and you're just hungry for God to show up. I just want to invite you right now in the quietness of this moment, just speak to God, whatever that response is. You know, we've been reflecting on many different attributes of God this morning. I think it can be tempting to get comfortable with a certain way of knowing God. So let me just invite you to come wherever you are, given this way we've seen him revealed today, and and just speak to him. We've also reflected on these different dimensions of God. His holiness, his presence, his power. I want to encourage you this morning. Is there one of those that you haven't really paid attention to? Is there a part of this God revealed who you don't know very well? You haven't spent time with that? Let me encourage you, if there's a place where you're a little less familiar today, hone in on that. Maybe you fail to know God in his holiness, that God always is and always does what's absolutely best and right. Have you doubted God in this? Is there a place in your life where you need to repent and trust him? Is there a place where God's holy present His holiness isn't welcome in your life? Are you trying to be holy on your own? Have you trusted Christ for his provision to come to this God? Not to have to shield your face, but to come fully accepted, fully approved because of Jesus into the presence of this God.
We also discussed the God who's present. Do you celebrate the nearness of God, the way he longs to be with you in every single area of your life, every minute? Is God's presence a delight to you? Or are there places in your habits or your physical world where you've banished the presence of God? How are you drawing near to God? And last, we talked about God's power. It's unbelievable, absolute capability of delivering you. Are you trusting God for things that you can't do? Things you can't do on your own? Are you taking steps of obedience? Even when God's invitation feels scary, even when God invites you to do things that you know you're not capable, is there any place in your life where you just haven't been trusting God to be able for you? God's holiness, God's presence, God's power. Come into whichever of those dimensions you're less familiar with and and see what the Lord might say to you this morning. Proverbs 18.10 says that the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are saved. And this salvation is made possible because the great I am, the God who came near in Jesus, gave himself up. And I want to transition now to the Lord's table as we remember Jesus who came and he broke his body for us, said, this is my body broken for you. And in the same way, God brought a new covenant and the blood that he shed, we read, is the the blood of the new covenant, this new way of relating to God because Jesus has provided for it. So as we join now at the communion table, please come and just celebrate this free access, this total access that we've been given in the full revelation of God in Jesus. Please come to the table.